Ozzy, Ozzy Jurek. Thanks for coming. Hi, Cam. Thanks for being here. I, I have always had this admiration for you, uh, particularly in the last few years. There's so many businesses that were really under pressure with COVID. And for you to keep the compliment of your staff and all this through, uh, through tough times that, uh, that speaks of many things, but particularly talks about character. So I'm glad to be here and do this with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for saying that. And thanks for coming. Uh, it's nice to have you. I, I also think highly of you. I heard of you uh, before, you know, I was even really in the business, so to speak. You're kind of famous. Yeah, I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope to hear the whole story. I want to know how you got to where you are today as a, a real estate guru and uh, a person that people look up to and when wanting to know how to build wealth in real estate. Where did it all begin? Like, how, where, where were you born? Why do you sound like the guy on the Ikea commercial? <laughs> well, I'm born in Germany, in Cologne, in the city of Cologne. And uh, it's funny when I, I also, my name is not really Ozzy. My name is Oswald. But when I came to Canada, my first boss says, Oswald reminds everybody of Lee Harvey Oswald and you're Ozzy. And what I didn't realize, he made me a huge present because Oswald is heavy, you know, he's the god of thunder or something. Ozzy is friendly and open, right? Yeah. And my my accent, I used to resent it, but now I've been on the radio 28 years. Wherever I go, people recognize the voice. If yeah. I go to a cab, the guy turns around and says, oh, I hear you with Michael, right? It's like, it's it's Michael Campbell, that is. So it's turned into a huge benefit, uh, even with people like you who compare me to the Ikea guy. <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel stupid because you're German and, you know, Swedish. It's I yeah. usually better with accents. I apologize. So oh, pretty... don't be apologetic. I am absolutely fine with my accent. I really am. <laughs> and so am I. So you're born in Germany and, and how long did you live there? Well, you know, one thing I don't like to talk about is my age. And so I'm not going to tell you when and exactly, but I left Germany at 19. But I want to tell you a little bit about um, my mother. First of all, I'm not the highly educated guy that you normally interview. I have what in Germany they call the, you finish school at 16, which means that is the middle ripeness, which is a very apt name for what you are like at 16. You, you're not finished, you're sort of half ripe, you know, so that was me at the time. But who had the most influence on me was my mother, because my mother was, you know, you know, she was full of life and a wonder of life and an appreciation of everything. And she, as a small boy, she made me independent like nobody, nobody that I know has been pushed out the door as much as my mother did. And by that, I mean, at age nine, she gave me five marks and she made me buy my own suit. Now, all her girlfriends said, you're crazy. I don't know her name was Erna. No, she says, he has to learn, he has to have experiences. What he's experienced, and this is a big saying, what you've seen and what you've eaten, what you experienced, nobody can take away from you. You have it forever, so you might as well make it good. And those sayings are in my head. She puts me in a dance school at age 11. And believe me, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't yeah. want to be there. What do you want me to do? Go over there and ask a girl? I didn't like girls. I like soccer. You know. Anyways, the point was she insisted on those things. Eight years later, I won a rock and roll dance contest in Port Said. Now think about that jump, right? Yeah. Did I think about my mother? No. That's why I'm thinking about her more now because she was responsible for so much. She would, she would buy and take me to an opera. An opera. All my friends were out there playing soccer. I'm in an opera. And so we are watching La Boheme and she's crying. And uh, I said, 
Mutti, what's the matter? No, just you have to appreciate even the pain that he writes about and the music is fantastic. Well, I didn't get it then, I get it now. And she made me sit in organ concerts. Oh, for goodness sake, an organ and a concert. I didn't want to go and I would fight with her and she made me go and sometimes she made me go by myself until the time I saw Kamina Borana from Karl Orff and I learned that it was all about sex. Well, boy, I was in there like Flint by that time, probably was 13. But it was all in Latin. You know, I mean, how, how disappointed you can be is, is unimaginable. But the point was, I developed a life for music because of her. And an, an eye-opening kind of a world for me because she, she was very sure about things. You'll always be punctual. Don't let people tell you that. You get in there before your time. You'll be a man, but a gentleman. You know, she insisted on that, that, you know, don't be, be anything in between. You are, you, you do things when you get into a train, an old lady comes in, you get up, right? And if I didn't, I would a little smack on the head. <laughs> Anyhow, but to her, everything was alive. There was a greater consciousness and all you had to do was look for it. And man, did I do that, you yeah. know? And so by the time I got to 19, um, I was... Uh, very much enamored with uh, Deed Linde, a very Nordic beauty with the long hair right down to her gorgeous behind. And uh, <laughs> everybody was sniffing around on Deed Linde. And I saw this sign that you could immigrate to Australia for 50 marks. And I thought, hey, that'd be a great idea to take her away from all the other guys, uh, which is a cockamamie idea. But anyways, that's what motivated me to call up and book. However, we needed permission from both of our parents. She didn't get hers, I got mine. And believe it or not, I'll talk about real estate any minute, but that cruise, to go on a cruise. So let's just back up a second. So yeah. Deed Linder is yeah. a real person. Yes. It's a, is it's a beautiful a woman. woman. Yes. And was she famous or not? No, she, no, in no, my mind she was. In your family. No, no yeah, she I was understand. just my I girl. So. I thought she said no, she was a celebrity, but she was no, kind no, of no, uh, celebrity, attractive. That was... A little later. Oh, good. good. Uh, and <laughs> anyways, the point I'm trying to make is uh, um, that I had to make a decision. Was it stay in Germany or go? Yeah. And it's those fork in the road, they call it, or these choices you make. And my mother was always about that. Make a choice and then stick with it. And don't worry about it. But make the choice that's harder. Always. She always was after me to make the harder choice. And these things guided me like nothing else, because when I got onto that ship, there was no doubt in my mind I had made the right choice. Did Linda who? You know, I mean, it, it was just an eye-opening kind of a... Now, I used to write a lot to my parents. We, my father, you couldn't read his handwriting, so insisted we all type. There was no TV in those times, so we would every Friday we'd go to the bookstore. We each rented a book, he one, my mother one, and me one. We had to read them all by next Friday. Well, we had a late payment fee. So we have in me a, a, a love for reading, a love for enjoying, a love for traveling, a love for being unique and different. And on that ship, I, I cannot, I won't go into detail, but there is one thing that, um, that I want to mention. And when I see a young person today, I say, always go for it. And people saying, oh, well, he's so stupid. When they dare him, he does do it. I feel you should do it. Get out there. You know, put yourself out there. So on the ship, there was a Miss Aurelia contest. And uh, and I was with a bunch of girls. And of course, they dare you. You wouldn't dress up as a girl, would you? And I said, well, I didn't really want to do that. But then what the hell? Because if you find me a dress, I will. Now, I couldn't find any shoes. But anyway, this is an Italian ship. It was the Miss Aurelia contest. And 
they were parading around the great ballroom and uh, the girls were all, and then my girls, they shoved me in the crowd and they didn't like it. They were not, they wanted to win this contest, not this idiot running around. Anyways, the Italian purser loved it. He says, who are you? I said, I'm Apollonia from Colonia. And I was a hit, right? <laughs> so, so I'm going down and change and come running up the stairs. And two young guys came up to me and said, I want to shake your hands. We never laughed so much in our life. Anyways, those two guys I stayed with for 50 years. One of them is still here uh, living in Vancouver. So I would have never, ever done that had I not put myself out, apart from being a hero. I could have been an idiot, you know, I could have been. A, but the point is, you got to take a chance on life and you don't sit sit back all the time. And so from then on, we traveled around the world uh, almost two solid years. I traveled with the circus through Tasmania. And I, again, I could regale you with stories. But let's get, get to the time when I came to Canada, which was about two years later. Actually, on the way back via Samoa, we came for the first time to Vancouver in October. It was one of those rare sunny days in Vancouver, which I didn't know. I thought Canada was snow and ice, and I was amazed. And then after I'd gone back to Germany, I realized that I had changed. I had to leave again. I picked Canada instead. Started at the Hotel Vancouver as a busboy, became a waiter. A year later, I was the maitre d' of the then Devonshire Hotel. And that's where I met either stockbrokers or realtors. They were all, all real estate investors mostly. And I thought the real estate investors, they were more certain. The, the stockbrokers, they were always up or down, you know. But I did see something. I was 22 years old by that time. And uh, I don't want to mention his name. One of the leading personalities today, he had an account of $600 a month, which I thought for lunch. I couldn't believe it, you know, that I didn't get paid $600 a month, right? So in, in this whole world, uh, again, I always worked long hours. I needed to learn. I mean, I, what did I know about the restaurant business, you know? So my boss was very gentle, told me what wines to drink with what food. I was part of having the first lobster imported from Eastern Canada to Vancouver. <laughs> anyway, so those, those tidbits uh, really are superfluous for this talk right now. But the point is, from there, I decided to go into real estate. Yeah. And I became a realtor. And then I started to uh, buy houses. And by that, I mean old houses in the 18 to 20,000 range. I renovated them. And on one house, I would make as much I was earning. I learned very quickly that that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. And so the, the idea that, that um, sort of you have to have a lot of education, that came after. I had to learn afterwards. I took a lot of night school class. After I was married, I had to, two things. Either I had to prove to my wife that I was as good as she thought I was because the, the, that is an incredible strength she has. Or I had to admit, I just don't know, right? But uh, because my wife is a teacher, she's educated, she has her, her degrees, whereas I didn't, right? So, but none of that ever bothered me because my mother always told me, if you're a genuine person, do the best you can always, good enough, right? And so here I am, um, we bought a, 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 after all these renovations, uh, I stood one day in the middle of a, a kitchen up to my eyeballs and renovations and my wife never unpacked anything for two years because <laughs> we moved from house to house. I thought, this is ridiculous. I gotta maybe buy something that doesn't need fixing, right? So that's when we bought our first seven suite apartment building in White Rock, had a restaurant in it. The restaurant was a fish and chips restaurant. So I looked at that for a while and I thought, boy, they don't know what they're doing. 
Anyways, I decided to run it myself. And for the next three years, we made the best fish and chips in White Rock. But that seven-suite apartment building, that was your first investment. Is that right? The first bigger investment. First bigger. We, would have, we always would buy a house uh, and another, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we would sell them all the time. I want people to know your story of, of that early, early stage, though. Like, how, how do people get started that are... Uh, new and I know this was some time ago when houses oh, were cheaper and all that, but the principles might be the same. So your first house was a single family home, a yep. fixer upper. Yeah, flipped it or yeah. rented it out. Well, no, the first house. Well, no, because what people don't realize, you know, I hear today almost every year there's too many realtors in the business. Young people can no longer afford it, and then they say, "I wish I bought five years ago." Right? That was the same in in the seventies or yeah. the eighties, right? The numbers were different, but to save three thousand dollars took me three years because it was I was paid five thousand, right? So how are you gonna save three thousand? And the mortgage was sixty-five percent. You bought a twenty thousand dollar house, you got a thirteen thousand dollar mortgage. So with three thousand down, you needed a four thousand second at sixteen and a half percent with a thousand dollar bonus. Tell me not that was not difficult. It was extremely difficult, right? Yeah. So once we got this, I wrote to my father that I had arrived. You know, I mean I had a house, my father never had a house. And then I realized, boy, if I could buy another house, right? So we bought another house with the idea of keeping it. But when I became a realtor, the manager says, you have anything to sell? I said, no, how do I get it? Well, why don't you put your house on the market? That's how it started, right? But it, it wasn't of any kind of a educated, uh, you know, uh, thinking. It was just as I got into the real estate business, and in those days, to take the course, you had to answer nine questions out of a year's worth of learning, could have been anything. I think it was sheer luck that I that I that I made it right. But the point I'm trying to get in uh, is that I keep learning and I keep growing and I keep changing and I keep making mistakes. That's why in this original book or the book that I'm I'm working worked on, I stopped publishing it. I, st I published five books, but I stopped publishing the motivational book because a lot of the concepts that we espouse in my mind just don't work. And one of them is the you learn from other people's mistakes. I think that's total nonsense. You learn to me, you don't learn nothing. You learn only from your own mistakes. Because we as human beings, we are we learn exp experientially. That's the only way we learn. And I learned that in particularly once we got into the real estate action group. Anyways, from the early part then we uh, got into the to the late seventies. That was the only period that I was ever negative. Um, by that time, I was a branch manager in Coquitlam, and I was able to really create a, a, a really viable office relatively quickly. We almost put everybody else out of business, companies you, you never even heard of anymore. But I believed in Harry Brown, the, the prophet from a monetary crisis, and I thought the world was coming to an end. So I decided, you know, true blue to my makeup, I think it's going to be over. So I took my kids out of school, moved to Mexico for one more happy year. Really? <laughs> of all the ridiculous things to do. But I mean, you should have seen us. Anyways, but we had three houses at the time. We sold two. I could not give away my own house for 125000 Let me stop you. Yeah. There was a prophet at that time that was saying the world's going to end. For real? Well, it wasn't a prophet. It was, I mean, in my later news, I have 65 people that wrote books, it's going to be over, right? He was one of them. Yeah. You know? And uh, he only, he, he talked about a runaway inflation. Or, I'm only mentioning this one in particular because we are at exactly the same inflection point. Entirely exactly. It was 1979. I made the decision to run away, not run away, but go towards happiness. You know, I've always felt uh, I was working too hard. The kids, 
you know, they don't see you and, uh, and all that nonsense. And so here I'm in Mexico, when the kids come in, I realize they come in, they want to ask a question and leave. I was ready to talk to them for a day. No, no, they, they want to go and run away and leave. As I'm down there, I called the manager who replaced me. I said, so Jerry, how are things going? I said, you wouldn't believe I could get you 140 now for that house. I said, you're kidding. I, I had for sale for three months at 125. I Listen, I'm sorry. A month later, I called. I said, you could buy it for 160. I said, what are you smoking? I, you know, what's the matter with you? By the time he told me it was 200, I thought I had to go back because maybe this Harry Brown was wrong and we have a runaway inflation. I flew back in the early, early 1980 and I took a drive around with the agent who I hired. On his, um, and he said, I said, Barry, what can you get me? Oh, he said 225, but half the houses were for sale and the other half was selling very similar houses. I said, what's the difference on this street? He said, I don't know. He says, this guy just, this one sold. And it looked to me like there was an ocean waving back and forth of believers and non-believers. Half the people thought it was going to go down. The other half thought it was going to still up. But the market was slowing down at an extremely tough place. And I developed a strong love for numbers. You know, if you, if you look at my newsletter on Ozbuzz, I believe I can predict the future uh, by looking at numbers. And like all technical analysts, you know, that, that may be a mistake. But I said to him, look, this is at 199, bring me 198, and it sold. And I sold it, and within a year and four months, that house went from 200,000 back to 130. We had a massive collapse because of Volcker's high interest rate policy, which, which saw, our, everybody talks about 22%, which is true, but never on a five-year five term was 16 and a half. But it was 16 and a half. And so we went through a period of readjustment. And um, now um, I had sold everything. I, I was liquid. It's, you know, I, I could argue that I knew what was going to happen. No, I, I mean, I bought dried food, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, have you eaten dried food? Even my dogs wouldn't eat it. <laughs> the point is that uh, we go through these periods of time. And I went through them four solid times as yeah. an agent, as a branch manager, as a regional manager, as a general manager, and as a president of a huge organization. And we come through them all the time. But the basic principles that I learned during that period of time, when I was in Mexico, number one, always do what you want to do, even if it's impossible. Because when I got back, they made me a regional manager. You know, I mean, I yeah, my, my job was gone in the branch, but uh, my boss said, look, Ozzy, you know, he says, uh, I think you're regional manager material. And I, I told him, Jeff, I think you just need a regional manager and you're too lazy to find somebody. We had a good relationship. <laughs> but, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson says that find me someone who can make me do what I can. Well, Jeff could make me do what I can. Because I could not make a public speech to talk to 15 people or, of all managers was fine with me in the bar having a beer with them, but talking to them and giving them advice, well, he put me into a situation which seemed impossible. He had to make a speech at the uh, Conference Board of Canada, and the day before he says, Ozzy, you're going to make that speech. I said, are you kidding? I, I can't say hello to my wife. Never mind. No, no, no. Was, Look, as I'm sick, you got to do this. He, of course, he was lying, but he made me do it. Here's a Conference Board of Canada, the press everywhere. Anyways, I made the speech. I had written it all out, you know. I mean, for the longest period of time, my speech making had every word written out. And when I was could afford it, I had somebody sit below. He was looking at all the papers as, uh, you know. So that's how difficult it was for me. Anyways, I did this. Another thing I didn't really want to do, but I did it. 
Now, my secretary says, you know, there is an, a, an, a Morgan has an award function. They were looking for uh, submissions. Why didn't we submit it? I said, sure. She sent it in. I won the first prize with that speech. So again, here I'm doing something I don't really want to do, but in the end, you know, it was, I've come to the belief that winners do the thing that they don't like to do, and losers won't do them. Is it the only difference? And so, so, so as we get into, when we got into my teaching world, in the, in the early 90s, uh, first of all, uh, I, I guess I'm still in the 80s, um, I became general manager right after that for British Columbia. Uh, the markets were good. Uh, again, I mean, a sideways market was actually very good for our systems. You know, we were still the old school. I, my agents, uh, I, I worked with them one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis. We had, uh, we hired Charles and Thomas, who gave us three words, commit, perform, measure. What a great concept. You have to commit yourself, do the job, and then measure the results. So I would sit down with my agent. I'd say, Cam, how much money do you want to earn next year? And you'd say, well, 100,000. These are different numbers, but say it was 100. I said, okay, how about 80? And you'd say, yeah, okay, how about 60? Yeah, how about 40? Oh, no. I said, now we just figured out you're nowhere going to be anywhere 60 or 100. You're going to be somewhere around 40 and 60, and even that is more likely to be 40. So let's now come up with a real number. And I come up with a number of 52, let's say, whatever it was, and we committed together to that number. Um, that was crazy that that actually worked. Now, the, the, the Charles and Thomas insisted that even our bosses in Toronto had to commit. It was like a company-wide thing. We went from 700 agents to 7,000 agents in 10 years. You know, There was some magic in those three words. And so when you go, I have a website called Commit, Perform, Measure, it forms you. Again, it's somebody else in the world that has an influence on you. And those three words made me do what I can because I would ask people also, I had my 11 questions, I had to meet with every agent every month. I got an idea of where they lived and what was their personal attitudes and I realized that I never could motivate anybody. People are already all motivated on one way or the other. We look at life through our eyes, not with our eyes. And so when I started my teaching career, the first Friday night, I would always say, look, I can tell you 144 ways to make money in real estate, but... I don't know what's inside you. Maybe Uncle Harry and stupid Aunt Nancy put some thoughts or concepts in you that don't allow you to take the actions you need to do. So going back to the period of time that, um, that I was in the mid-80s, that's what I learned through the fast-growing company. But by about, um, well, I guess it's now, I hate saying the dates, dates you, but... Uh, the company merged, A. LePage merged with Royal Trust and became Royal LePage. And um, so my boss called me one day, can you meet me in Calgary? Sure. So I flew to Calgary and I said, you're the new president of Royal LePage. You got to understand that that was not in my goal structure. It was the wildest possible outcome that I could have imagined because of all the, we had six general managers and 15 regional managers and with thousands and thousands of people at the number one and number two company merging, there was a lot of stress. Uh, we had mass walkouts in Quebec and Ontario, but I didn't NBC. Anyways, now within two months, I'm going to be the president of that organization. It was mind-boggling. Um, but in those days, uh, my mentor, Leland Val Vanderwall from Edmonton, uh, he... Uh, he insisted that I worked on myself by learning by make, make yourself a tape. Like I wanted to stop smoking, right? Yeah. 
So I made myself a tape because every time I was smoking, I wanted to quit. Every time I was quitting, I wanted to smoke, right? So you made yourself a tape on how exactly you felt all the way along and then listened to it in the car. And that's how I stopped. Well, becoming a president of Royal Peach, I made myself a tape. I was going to be the best darn president I ever had. And I, by the time I went to Toronto, I believed it. <laughs> it sounds silly, but and I don't want to go into too many details, but it was a magical time because I, I live in the branches. And that's what it at the time needed, because I would walk into Royal Trust office and I saw Royal Trust office that comes down by the new Royal LePage office. Any material set, what I liked is uh, LePage material. Great, I said, good, tell me what you like, we'll rewrite it, right? And we stopped the bleeding. And when I went to Quebec, which was the biggest fear, I made my speech at a thousand agents out and I started in English and somebody else, en français, s'il vous plaît, and I switched into French. And ever since, I had a love affair with Quebec, you know. And in fact, I enjoyed being in Quebec probably more because this is joie de vivre, you know. And they talk all night and later on, the next morning, they don't know what they talked about, but they had a ball doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's my style. As you have noticed, you haven't said a word because I love the sound of my own voice, you know. I mean, people always say, Ozzy, would you say a few words? But they don't know. I'll wrestle them to the ground for the mic, you know. <laughs> So do you say you made a tape? Uh, you really made a tape, like you recorded a in message. The, and in those days, of course, it was tapes, yeah. right? Even in your in your in your car, right? We had tape, absolutely. But the idea comes from, which I later realized was that you're a great speaker, Cam. You you have control over the audience, and you you make a great presentation. And when you're finished, I'm sure they all understand what you said. Also, I'm sure that does not motivate them one bit to do anything. The best you can hope for as a speaker is an aha. I get that. You might hope to get into the second stage where you have an emotional buy-in. Now the person says, you know what? If I listen to him, I maybe would have a better car and maybe my wife would like me better or, you know, maybe I could have, a, you know, another wife. I don't know. The thing is, you are sitting and getting emotionally involved. You know what? means nothing. Understanding is not learning. The third stage is the only way you learn is either through impact, you're fired. Well, that was crystal clear. I learned that right away. I didn't have to think about it. It was, it was like magic. I learned it. Everything else is learned through constant spaced repetition. That brings me back to the tape. The tape, you just can do it again. Look, you drive around in your car, right? You listen to music. All of a sudden, you're singing the words, right? Then you start thinking, how the hell did I learn those words? Well, you listen to what you liked. And you hear it over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Now, these are perhaps old concepts, but I believe them with a passion. If I can get to a group of people and get them over and over involved in listening to a message, they will bring that, feed that message back to me. So, well, how do they learn? Once you have them either committed to more than understanding when they do it, then the only thing that makes them actually buy real estate, become a realtor, change their lives, leave their wife, whatever it is that their decision that they can make is through slow start experience. You have to experience it. And then hopefully afterwards, then you create a new habit, right? And so when, when I went to Toronto, it was particularly difficult for me to come from my background when all the other general managers, they would make $10 million and I'd make one, you know, in the, in the company. But my, I think the company made the right decision, obviously, I would think that, but they made the right decision because I was unlike anybody that came out of the Toronto hierarchy, right? I mean, for me, to be in Quebec, they knew I was an agent just a few years ago. That I didn't come from some highfalutin institution. It was I was actually the man on the ground. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I wanted to go to the Guinness Book of Record 
because I kissed more women than anybody else in a short period of time because I went to all these award functions and, you know, you're given award, you, you kiss on the cheek, turn around, you know, I always sprayed my mouth and turn around and kiss. Anyway, the point is that I love the job. Until in 1987, the stock market crashed dramatically. At the time, we were part of the Trilon Empire. I mean, I was on the board of uh, London Life and Royal Trust and, and uh, car companies and all that, and huge, huge crash. And we hired the best advice money could buy. I mean, we spent almost $80,000. I won't give you the names because they don't mean anything, but we're the leading authorities. And half of them said the interest rate's going to go back to 16%. The other half said it's a total wipeout. We're going back into a depression. And I wanted to get out of the job because I lost in one day a half a million dollars. And, and the way it worked was we had to buy these shares as senior executives. You had to, even if you didn't have the money. They would lend you the money and then you would make the payments through your dividends. Well, that also, I, I didn't really care. It was my company, our company, the residential group. We made 90% of the profits. We were doing well. Anyhow, I thought to myself, if that can happen in the stock market, when I'm making a huge profit, the stock can go in half in a day. It's, you know, unbelievable. I, it was a major shock to the system. Mm -hmm. The other thing was, of course, that all the money we spent on advice was wasted. They didn't know. You know, does that ring a bell today? You go on YouTube today and you can have very eloquent people with great names out there tell you stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then you flick the next person, tells you great eloquent stuff and the opposite of it, right? Mm -hmm. We are in times and inflection points in economy and all that where we don't likely uh, know what's going to happen. Although I'll tell you later what's going to happen. <laughs> so anyways, I decided I needed to go. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I was with a company a long time. They were very good to me. They sure as heck didn't want me to go. And so they tried to find me a job. And uh, and so up came Oil Page Asia. Again, I, I love being in Taiwan. Before I went there, I didn't know where the hell it was. It was called Formosa on my map. Uh, but at uh, the time that I spent there, I, I won't uh, bore you with it, but I learned so much about relationship building. And in how, particular in Asia, it's who you know, really, not, not what you know, and whether you work or not. By that, I mean, do your work 12 hours a day and then go for dinner with business people. Right? That's there. The secret of success in China is entirely, they work like hell. You know, whereas we are, we are, and I'm not saying they're right, it's just a totally different system. So my family couldn't get used to it. The kids uh, uh, didn't like the American school, and so I, I would have stayed. For me, it's always the new that's exciting. And again, comes my mother's, always remember your firsts, you know, your first kiss, you know, you get the first kiss on the cheek, and then you get a real kiss, and then you fumble around in the dark. All these things you remember, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're milestones. And I remember what I learned in Taiwan was I did not want to live where the expats lived. I wanted to be downtown where the Chinese lived. Now, when I went into some meeting and somebody says, where do you live? And it was downtown. And when I ate the Chinese food and I wasn't looking for a steak, or you all of a sudden, without planning it, you get accepted, right? So go for it. You know, yes, those firsts are really important to you. These key points are the decisions that we make that they can direct you in all these different areas. And I think today's youth is actually primed for that. When I grew up, you have a job, stay there till 60. Mm -hmm. Today, they're looking for eight or nine or 10 different jobs, you know. Mm -hmm. So when I got back um, from from Asia, I decided that uh, 
I didn't really want to go work for another company, but again, long story short, Blockbrothers uh, really recruited me. In the end, they said, you know, what would it take? Well, if you tell me what would it take, then that was a deal. And so I stayed three years with them. The Reichman Brothers had sold their residential division to the salespeople. And I found them a great job with a company in the United States where they all would have made a lot of money, but we would have changed the company name. They didn't want to do that, so I, I quit. Then I went on my own, started writing a newsletter. I started a, a internet company. I started a, a franchise company, also on the internet. And in the year 2000, I created a real estate action group. And the idea was that I wanted people to be trained to believe in this unbelievable future that we have, that we still have. And that's where my first book, which I called Forget About Location, Location, came in, in 1998. I brought you a copy because some of the things that I say, you might think I just make them up, but mm -hmm. I highlighted for you some of the things that I'm saying now that I wrote about it 22 years ago. Oh, wow. And the big thing, in, uh, oh, it's now, I guess, 24 years ago. The big thing about, um, about my, my basic philosophy is that if whatever market you're in, you have to look at four things. Number one, is it inflationary or is it deflation? If you decide it's deflation, get into cash, roll up in a little ball and cry all night. If it's inflation, then you have the number one step is good for you to buy. Number two, what timing in the cycle is it? Number three, what is the trend? And number four, what is the cycle? Now, there's some other things in there, but that's the four major things. And so when, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the, on the podcast tomorrow morning with Michael Campbell, and I'm making the point that it's normal to have an adjustment. You know, we expect that this average price in Surrey goes from a million to a million nine in two years. We expect it to go on forever. And now that it went down $300,000, we run for the hills. Absolutely not, because inflation is primarily a monetary phenomenon. It is in time, and that's a Milton Friedman quote. And I have that on every slideshow since 2001. Is That's my main slide. I believe that inflation, we always spend more money than we need or, or want. We live in an electoral cycle every four years, and they always kick the can down the road. And it will always result in higher prices. Now, in that book, I compared the price of uh, in 1963 at 13200 And by 1998, that price, I believe, was 278000 which came up to something like 23,000% on your down payment, we came up to 2,300% just on the price. And I made the point that if we kept on doing this by 2021, every house in Vancouver would be worth 7 million. Of course, everybody thought I was an idiot. 10 years later, I rewrote the second book. I brought the 7 million down, but I, I've started it at, I think, 1966. And then I said, we're going to be 6 million. Well, we were 4.6 million on the west side last fall, right? And when you go from 298 and people think you're a nutcase to there, then you realize at the time in houses were 278, did you possibly believe it could be $5 million? No way. That very simple calculation, I'm not an economist, that's my way of looking at it. You print more money. Well, we're now in the mother of all money printing and not just Canada, not just the United States, it's all over the world. England yesterday raised its rate again. Euro is collapsing, which you also forecast. And so, so the idea that, that you can survive anything as long as you're in real estate is, that is my book on all the books I've written. But 
if it's inflation, it's still timing that's important. And the, the thing I use as an example, in 1990, I could have bought a house for $260,000 anywhere in uh, Vancouver. By 1995, you could have sold that house to me for 400000 By 1998, it was back down to 278. What did I have to do with location? Nothing. The timing was crucial, right? What was, and there the timing was a trend. The Hong Kong Chinese came here thinking that Hong Kong repatriation was a disaster. By 1996, they realized it wasn't. They all went back, and that made a huge swing in the market. So if you have that in your mind that as an investor, I'm not talking about a homeowner. A homeowner you should always buy a house, always buy your own house. should never any doubt in your mind, get a house. And don't tell me it's harder to buy now. I've, I've seen so much money sitting around on the sideline waiting to, to give it to you to buy a house. But anyways, point is that those four things that we teach, I think, um, still valid today. I don't know that the outcome will be, but it will be inflation. They cannot, we are 300 trillion a year. You know, in my last Ausbuzz, I pointed out about a trillion. It's not a one with 12 zeros. You take a million, $200,000 house, a million of them, that's a trillion, right? Mm -hmm. And here we owe 300 trillion. It will never be paid back. And I always, in every newsletter I've ever written, I, I maintain the US dollar will be always strong, primarily because it's a safe haven. If you're a Belgian pension fund manager, would you go on the euro? Would you go into the Chinese? Where do you go, right? Now, the trouble is, of course, that that U.S. currency is now also being used to lend money from all the other countries in the world. And they, in turn, their debts go up. So what the outcome will be, I don't know. But in the end, it'll be printing more money. Okay. <laughs> Ask me some questions. <laughs> I, I, got him, I got him stunned. I'm not stunned. I'm just used to you talking. Yeah. <laughs> what are these cards you brought here? Well, this is, uh, again, uh, about 15 years, I decided that I wanted some visuals. You know, I looked at all the people that I always made a note. I would talk to Cam and will he be successful or not? And I made myself a 10-star system. And I was more often wrong than right. You know, here we would have a short, skinny, Af African Chinese uh, accountant uh, who didn't have a license. And he asked me, am I, am I going to be successful? And... Uh, I said, yes, if you do what I tell you. He says, if I do what you tell me to do, yes. And he became one of the most successful agents. And here I have a three-piece guy with immaculate English, and he can't get off the couch. That's why it became important to me to create environments for people. And so my mission in life is to create environments where people grow into their own future best selves. You cannot motivate me. I can't motivate you, but if I create an environment where you, where you get an idea or where you motivate yourself... That's the premise, right? I could never, everybody says you have to have a mission. Well, I couldn't find a mission until I realized no matter what company I owned or what business I'm in, that's a good uh, mission to have, right? And so one of the things I make this thought starter card and call it growing into my own future best. As I sit here, and I'm a couple of years older than you are, but there's still a future best Aussie out there. There's always some somebody new, you know? So I, I maybe the, the first thing, I would just pick one up, I said, we create our own reality. I can create a new reality by writing things down. That's a statement. And in the back, I know emotion begets emotion. Writing creates thinking. Thinking creates pictures or images in our mind. Images images create feelings and emotions. The point is I want you to get to write things down. My um, mentor, Val Wonderwall, always says humans don't write to write things down. I have a beautiful business plan, 30 pages, and I have one at 15 pages and one at one page. And when we had our original classes, there were four days, 
I would say at the end of the class, I had them here at Simon Fraser and we'd have 70 or 80 people say, let me ask you, how much older you are? All the speakers here together, we probably have 200 years with the real estate experience. We gave you this business plan. Will you fill it out? And they all said, yes. Well, let me tell you something. You paid over $2,000 to be here. Thank you very much. You used your valuable time and less than 20% of you will actually ask me to read your business plan. Is I'm not biting. I, I just want to, I want you to succeed. I, I, I'm dying for helping you to succeed. So what is it? Because we don't like to write things down because the moment you write it down, you are committed to something. Mm. So I said, if you go to the bank and you borrow a miserable $10,000, what do they want? A business plan. They want you to write it down. How do I get my money back? But for Aussie Jurok Limited, you don't have a business plan for yourself. Have a plan. If it bothers you that it's a business plan, call it a life plan or a personal plan. Well, you don't want to do 30 pages? I got one for 15. You don't want 15? I have one, one page. But fill it out, right? So if you ever want to see me again after this class, even you're in the group, you want to see me in the one-on-one, I don't have your business plan, don't see me. I used to be very opinionated. I no longer am that opinionated. <laughs> I wouldn't even let them join the course until they took the class, right? So today we are more liberal. You know, Ralph's influence has rubbed on. Ralph, uh, Ralph Case, my partner, bought into the company in 2010, right? So for the first 10 years, um, I worked on trying to get people to motivate themselves. And it isn't easy. Look, in sales, if you're on the phone all the time and uh, get a lot of no's or rejections or working by owners or what it is, whatever you're being taught, it is not an easy job. But the winners don't have win big wings or fly through the air or do something different. They're shorter, taller, they're exactly like you, exactly like me, but they do it. They do what they need to do in order to get the things out of life that they, they want. And I felt once we got that to everybody, the reason I, I we had our, our evenings together and then after the evenings, I buy everybody a glass of wine or a beer. Why? Because I want them to talk together. You know, the guy is a dentist, he has $5 million, but he doesn't run around with a sign. I have $5 million, I get 1%, right? He wants to meet you and you say, you don't have any down payment, but I have got this great deal, right? That's how we build hundreds of little joint ventures, you know, two people, four people, we have a joint venture agreement. It's 45 pages. In the course, I said, everybody stand up, put your hand on your on your heart, swear that you will read this thing page cover to cover. And I said, if you don't, I will appear like a little green man on your shoulder and bite you in the ear, right? <laughs> the thing is that, that we don't. We don't read mortgage. We don't read anything, right? And I said, believe me, you borrow money from your mother, have her sign it too, because she actually expects you to pay the money back, right? You expect it's a gift. Anyhow, the point is that you've got to get people engaged, and that's what happens. Wondrous things happen. I think you had one guest uh, with David Steele. David was a member. Uh, Janet LePage was a member. We have a, a, a guy that won an Oscar in, in, in Los Angeles. He's a member. We have a, the 40 under 40 guy is Willie Fisher, who's just raised $70 million in, uh, in BC, I guess, uh, a few months ago. So we have some superstars, but I'm don't only live for the superstars. I want to lift the middle group up. And you can, or rather they can themselves. And that's why I created the card sets, that's why, why we wrote the books. I mean, this book is sort of a, a Bible of uh, nothing to do with real estate, just trying to get a rattle your cage. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, by that, I mean, it's got thinking out of the box. One of my, the greatest speakers in the world, I think is Mike Vance, who actually wrote the book, Think Out of the Box. And uh, we're always thinking of a box that we put ourselves into. 
and we never, you know, expand. Mm. Now you wanted to have this building. You you always were thinking out of the box. But for most people, almost everything is is too hard or it takes too much time and or we don't take any time. So the idea of the real estate action group was first the word action, you know, that's my mother. You've got to do something, you know. And if you take, you know, if, if we had a couple of girls without any money themselves, created a $1.9 million portfolio with other people's money. They were in the group and they all together, you know, went on for the ride. And so when I look around, uh, you know, Rolf and I, we also have investors in the United States. Um, David Steele was talking about conversions. We did starter conversions with David Barnes, who is a superstar. I don't know whether you know him. Dave used to work with uh, David Steele, and we converted over a thousand units in BC. Yeah, Dave Steele was on recently, and uh, he's a good friend. And and he, I didn't know he was uh, in that same group with yeah. uh, Janix or partners now? Yeah, I met him actually uh, and Phil, when they hired my internet company, I built them, I believe, one of the larger websites for $300,000 at their Invest Plus, Investment Plus. But anyways, the David Barnes used to work for him and he had the same ideas on conversions. But we found a lot of buildings that were already starter titled, that the owner had built totally starter titled. And um, and then, of course, we would buy them and we, we, uh, we refurbish some of them. And flip them. I mean, um, and we had whole, whole courses on that. We also taught on how to do it. Right? And it's still a it's still a possibility, but it's not that easy, because we not only flipped them, we bought them, never closed them. We just uh, we just did the skip transfer. Mm. And when you consider what we have, the property transfer tax it was very easy to sell. I can buy it in my name, pay the transfer tax, and sell it to you, and you pay it again. Or would you rather me transferring it to you? So. So those those were all good while it lasted, and now of course we have uh, Ralph and I have a real estate company where we essentially only select um, specific people and buildings that we work with. I had the privilege of being uh, the judge at the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board uh, Commercial Division Awards uh, for seven years. So I looked at a lot of developments, and I, I I'm opinionated at what's good and what's not so good. You know, of course, ten times better than I do, but. What we do, Rob and I do, we just take a small amount of units, and so maybe annually we sell somewhere between 80 and 130 units. And we don't want any other business. We're not in the real estate business. Sometimes the developer says, all you want is the, the listing. No, we're not interested. So we have that. We have a, we have investments in the United States. And so the, the, my whole life has been, particularly the last 20 years, has been a real estate world. And I've always tried to get into more of the motivational side. First, I wanted to motivate old, old people. And then I realized I don't like to be with old people. You know, they always talk about George died and Harry has something hanging out of his neck. <laughs> you know, I don't want that. No, thank you very much. I want young people. So Tuesday nights, I have a motivational night. And it's not motivation. I realize I can motivate them. I hope to to create an environment where they want to be there. And so we have a lot of fun. And we, last, last week, we were dissecting Tony Robbins. And I love them to be engaged. You know, I love them to challenge me. And uh, and the thing is, it's very difficult for them to put me on the spot because I say, look, if I can do it, I came here and I didn't speak English. I still don't speak English, right? I mean, you know, what the hell? If I can do it, you know, with my education background, my God, you should own, you know, the, the house mountain yourself. And so the, the idea that, um, but I am working on, on this uh, motivational book. Uh, and I had it already edited by uh, a former lady, great lady at the Vancouver Sun, who uh, does a marvelous job. She edited all our books. And 
and I read it and I think it's not real. It's not really me. I'm regurgitating what I've learned over the years, right? You take the word balance. Everybody says we need to find balance. That's wrong. You know, whatever you did something exciting in your life and something that you had to be you had to be sort of clinging on your seats or on the windowsill in order to do to do a great deal. You had to get out of your comfort zone. You had to swing that bat. How often have you done a great deal and you thought, oh, my God, you know, I mean, you know, we're really at it. Did, you didn't get that from sitting in the middle of the room. Did you chase girls from sitting in the middle of the room? No, you made sure that you were noticed, right? You um, Anything, even lie to get her into bed. But the point is that you... That you <laughs> that you are engaged and it's not in balance. And say, well, you can't just go on 100 miles an hour all the time. No, I agree. That's why your job is to get joyful. You've got to get into joy every day. You look at, you give my, I've got five grandkids. You give one of them a truck and a box and two hours later you look, they're playing with the box. They're having a ball playing in the box. You know, they love it. I mean, think about it. You're a little boy or a little girl and you're walking and grandmother says, he's walking. And you go, ooh. That, that's kind of good. And then they all, yeah, he's working. Can you believe it? And he's talking. You get all these compliments. So then when you get older, I always had pools in my house. The kids, they can't get in the, in the water without, Papa, look, look, look. They want you to sh see how they jump. When yeah. they get in, the head comes out of the water, shaking left and right, looking who, who saw me, right? And you get that feedback. At our age, who says, nice boy, you know, nice job. Very difficult. And that's what you need to do. you got to get people, find out where they live, and then give them a pat on the back. There's a great book, The One-Minute Manager by Blanchard, who, uh, who gives you the one-minute praise and the one-minute reprimand. You know, Don't say to your son, wait till your dad comes home, he'll punish you, right? Well, how terrible is that? Tell him right away what you didn't like, or tell him right away what you did like. You know? Yeah. So what's your main focus now? Is it working with the Real Estate Action Group? No, no, but I, we sold the action group actually four years ago. Oh. And I just make, I get dragged back in uh, uh, for making speeches. I make mostly a lot of speeches. Uh, and the Zoom period didn't slow me down. If anything, it, it went more. But I don't work for a good six months a year. I haven't for 15 years. I look oh. like I do a lot, but I just plan my life in a different way. I need to think. You know, all my good ideas came when I wasn't working. I skied uh, in a harmony bowl and I thought one day I should have a conference on this, you know. People should see this. So the original land rush in the 90s was all about the out, out of, you know, out of town area. And uh, I mean, some of the things that we taught, buy an acre of cedar, or plant an acre of cedar and grow yourself a million dollars in 20 years, which sounded really far-fetched, but just imagine you had done it. Right? Yeah. Those acreages were, were, and Rudy Nielsen, a good friend of mine, he was, used to be one of the largest landowners. That's how he made his fortune. He said, you know, it's easy to do. You, you can go there every year with your grandson and give him that as a birthday present. You know, it was a high school present, right? We had a lot of brilliant ideas, and that's what I liked about the group. I think whenever you have a group together, it's better than being by yourself. It's not Napoleon Hill's mastermind only. Yes, it does help to have like-minded, brainy people, but just anybody. Get them to talk and you realize, wait, there might be some gem was sitting right here that we didn't look at. Mm -hmm. So that that's old and, and you're mainly a public speaker then? Speaker and I write a newsletter, right? My Ozbuzz publication, uh, which is free, and you get there by ozbuzz.ca, 
we have 26,900 subscribers. And I, I, you have to write in, you have to give me your email so I know they're really there, right? We also, so if you give me your email, for instance, the new one is coming out uh, tomorrow or the day after. If you give me your email, you get it right away. If you don't, I put it on the website 10 days later, right? So the interesting thing is that I generate a lot of people around me. Uh, I think that is the future. Mm. It is large groups of people. And so when, when Rob and I wanted to, to um, let's say we have a, a deal somewhere. You see, you have a deal and you said, Ozzy, could you sell 30 or 40 units? And say, I like the building. And then write and invite these 26,000 people to a Zoom meeting. I don't invite them all. I'm just, you have to write in. And usually when they write in, I then have a Zoom meeting. The last one we had was 463 people. It's always been 400 and 700 people to a Zoom meeting. And out of that group, all I need is 40 buyers. Yeah. They could be brand new buyers or they can be repeat buyers. And so out of that group, then we invite them to an actual meeting and, and that's done. We do that twice a year and we do very well financially and they do have done very well. The timing has been absolutely spectacular. Yeah. In the United States, it's almost, when you tell a story, it's not believable. We closed on a deal last week, which was the average annual return was 34%. 34 percent well of course it's not so bad, bad in vancouver vancouver had what 34 percent for three years running but anyway so the point is that that the large groups of people that you have i mean i have about thirty thousand people on social media like six thousand on facebook i have three facebooks on my twitter i'm 6500 on linkedin i'm six thousand I'm a DJ on the internet, I have 15,000 people there, and this is like a Twitter with music, right? Um, and of course, Spotify has just couldn't take the million people that were on that, and it's likely going to go. But anyways, the point is, the groups of people that, that we have, is that's the future. See, it used to be, uh, Colin Bozer told me once that what they, what they were looking for was whale-type realtors on Facebook. If they are a realtor and they had a huge following on Facebook, then they have a certain built almost like a little trust with them. And then, of course, came YouTube. A YouTube following, at least they're all in this, they're one, they're called, they follow you because of real estate or something. But that's not the, the future is building a community. And you, 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 you have a community at Key Marketing, but I mean, a large community. So I belong to this Reddit group, or rather, I subscribe to it. And this guy will say, okay, guys, let's all buy $50 of this stock. And he has a million followers. That's a $50 million hit that day. Stock goes up. They have no idea whether it makes money, what it is, that they could be baking potatoes. They have absolutely no clue. But they have enormous power. Mm-hmm. Of course, it now has backfired from time to time. And now the disasters in crypto are just unbelievable. But that's the future. And future is where you engage the group. They're part of the group. The, the naysayers and the pluses. But once they trust you, you are in a in a just. I mean, I don't need to have large more groups of people to sell things to, but it does build you a base that everybody should be looking for. I'm telling this to the young kids. You know, I don't care whether you have a couple of thousand people. But they should be should find something of interest. And uh, you know, I have a young guy who's a he's a son of uh, one of my old friends. I traveled all over Europe with them. 
and he created a, a website. He loves games. I love computer games. I've been playing computer games for 30 years. I mean, on my phone, I have a, a game that I play with my 15-year-old grandson and his father, and we are, called, we, are, we are playing the Clash of Clans. I don't know whether you've heard of it. Yeah. And we are called the Moo Moo Clan because he used to like cows. So hear the fierce voice of Zelda being beaten by the Mumu clan. But anyhow, and with my daughter and my my wife and uh, her best friend, we are playing a game called Haiti, you know, so just, just, but I like to play, of course, on the computer, the big screen. So when we, when we look at these, um, this new world that is so computer internet, so high tech, we haven't seen anything yet. When you look at Elon Musk, he says that we are now, he thinks we have more automatic thinking, robotic thinking now than human thinking. I mean, it's it's going to happen. My daughter works for Simon Fraser. She absolutely believes that these new glasses we're going to have, it's not just Oculus and virtual reality. You use your eyebrows and you, you turn on your left signal. I'm being yeah. silly. But the thing is, everything is changing in a dramatic sense and the world's your oyster, Right. And so this young guy, he, he wanted to, to find tricks of the trade of specific games. He created a million dollar income for himself with something that he loved to do and yeah. never just never got there. And I always said, you're doing something now that you love to do. So what is it? Is, is it, can you make it uh, profitable? Can you do it? Uh, well, I never thought about it. Well, there it is. And there's these thousands of jobs. But just like in the 90s or in the, in the dot-com bubble, the 2000s, of the 2,000 or 3,000 new inventions, five or six only survived. So and that's what we're having right now, a very similar time. And I wrote in my Ozbuzz that one of the biggest fears that I have, and the only reason I write about the world is all I care about is what will real estate do here today. That's all I care about. And when you look at the millennials that lost their shirt, absolutely their shirt, they got slaughtered in the last two months because a lot of those guys from 69,000 Bitcoin down to 20, or even from 40 when, when they all went back in and then they got wiped out. And they didn't just get wiped out. They're all in the 5-4 or 10-4. And I said to my telephone guy, he was playing on his phone. I said, what are you doing? Oh, I just made you $1,000. I said, how do you do that? Well, he says, I put in $4,000 in last week. Now I, made, I said, how can you put in four and make eight? Well, he says, I got a 5-4. I said, what is a 5-4? A 5X. What's a 5X? Well, it's a five times the amount you put in you can borrow. So he owed 20, put in four, and he made eight. I said, what if it goes the other way? Oh, was he, you know, you know, like some sort of an old fogey. <laughs> well, that's what happened. Now, they, people went 20 times, 10 times in these exchanges. I absolutely got right. And there were a lot of them were all biased. Mm. They just simply, and not only my, my oldest grandson, um, he has a friend, he lost 180,000. But worse, his friend's friend, his dad, he persuaded him to put a million in gone oh. you know they all got killed out killed by the so so i said look they could have bought a house they could have bought a condo you know they could have done you know a joint venture with somebody else right and so there's always great ideas and so we have a land rush conference coming up in september 10 and we are thrilled that you're coming to join us and we have one lady that that's presenting the bb bnb um, opportunities you know oh, good bnb is not taxable i mean it's not uh, doesn't fall under any of the rent control guidelines you have. There's a, there's a whole bunch of real good reasons why B&B now, and not, not of course, Vancouver is forbidden, but there's so many areas and niches in the real estate world, they're just fine. And we shouldn't get swept up in, in, the, in the negative thinking out there. You know, there's so much negative rust out there. 
we will just be fine coming out of this, but it'll take some time. That lady talking about Airbnb, does she work for Airbnb or does she have a, a company no, she that is a provides top notch, services? Yes, she has a top-notch realtor, Kyle, uh, Kelly uh, Fry. Mm. And Kelly um, is in the Fraser Valley. And she is a, she is a brain, uh, just like Janet. She is accountant-oriented, like a sort of a background of numbers. Has a super real estate company, lots of agents, bought her own office. And uh, so uh, she's enjoyable. She really is. And she, you know, she's out there swinging the bat. Like to the her, they're on the pre-sale world. She just launched a program with $1 down. And did you see the $1 down pre-sale thing? Yeah. yeah. So she, anyway, she sold 11 units or something or whatever it is. Whether it works or not, there's always something new, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's never boring. Uh, <laughs> it's sometimes creative. So the, the land rush, how long has that been going on? Since 1993. And that's another entity, another brand that you have? Yes, uh, well, the land rush and the outlook. So we just did, we, in, the, in the 90s, we did one every month. And we had, you know, Peter Newman, the fable writer. We had nights with him. We had, I, I don't know, it's just, we had always a special personality. And, uh, and it attracted always two or 300 people. And so then I decided it was just getting too much, right? That's where the whole idea of, at the same time, we, we launched Feature Web. Uh, my franchise organization on the internet was, I believe, worldwide, yes, but local first. So if you have a, a car breaks down and you have a car repair shop, do you really care that they in Rome know that you have that? No. You, so we built a, a web forum. I was an early adopter of the internet. I just didn't get that I should have given it away for free. We had a fully functional real estate board in 1998 well ahead of the real estate boards in Canada. If I had just given it away for free, I charged $60 a listing, and I was in heaven. I was making eighteen, twenty thousand 20000 a month, but when everybody else, and his point is, that was something that eluded me. Mm-hmm. But we never lost any money. We were, we were a working, uh, working organization. So slowly over that time, when, when we shifted into just uh, real estate teaching and the club, I mean, the club was wildly successful. I would have uh, the courses. We'd have a hundred people attend at twenty five hundred a month on a weekend. We would net one hundred ninety thousand dollars. Mm. So it was great business, but it was also I think it was making a difference. I could really, you know, yes, everybody says I get it. Yes, I understand it, and I knew it's not enough. I have to get them engaged, and that's where this constant spaced repetition comes in. That's why I created the card set and the books and the, the handouts we have. Uh, that have three different uh, books that that you get. The idea is simply that, uh, and I get them, we sold 40,000 of those, and we have never really gone to great big lengths to Magnus, mostly giving them away to our guys. People write me from all corners of the world, I'm still looking at your card and I really rang a bell or, you know, you'd be happy to know I've grown into my future best, I bought my second condo, you know, something like that, something... How do I how do I ring the bell? If I cannot motivate you, all I can do is create sort of a world where you motivate yourself. Yeah, and that's where I live now. And I think that that if I can motivate you in my own community, the world is your oyster. It doesn't matter what you market, what you sell. If you have a group of people that buy you once on something, even if it's a speech, they'll buy you again and again. You know. So, I made a speech to Home Life last year, a branch. They hired me forever. And then there was a branch manager there from another home life. I made a speech there. There was a guy from Verico there. And I made all the mortgage companies all across the country, right? So it's, it's the, there was not a major effort there, right? It was there. But I do believe that we don't take enough time to think. 
you know, we did a world, world cruise a couple of three years ago, uh, and from uh, Panama, we left in Fort Lauderdale, and from Panama to Tahiti is five days, no, no land, right? Yeah. So we literally forced to read, and I just lived in the library for a while, and I picked up uh, an idea that made me a hundred thousand dollars, just because I had the time. My mind was totally empty, right? What was it? Well. It was that if you're a quality person or have a quality idea or a quality service or a quality result, never discount. And here I was discounting everything. You know, if you have a base price, you, you never discount. Like on whether it was the land and the conferences that followed on uh, all of the services that we did, we never, we never discounted anymore. What a brilliant idea. The book was called The Tribe of Mentors. So then found out it was a guy who has a two million followers. He does a podcast and he doesn't know his name eludes me. But the point is, I wouldn't have said that book. I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been on the cruise. You know, Leland Val Wonderwall told me that human beings need at least two months off every year. And that wasn't easy for me to do. But in 19, after I was married for two years, I took $2,000. So you can imagine how long ago that was and went to Europe. And I bought a car with that money and spent 10 weeks there. So I'm in Ana Costa Brava with my wife. We're camping, but we, we want to go out. So she had this gorgeous long red dress, and I had a Mickey Mouse suit, and we go. They're all cooking their, their food. We go, we're going out from the, from the tent. Anyways, so this guy comes up to me. He says, where are you guys going every night? I said, well, we, I like to go to a restaurant and eat. I don't want to. No. Anyway, so we get to talking. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Vancouver. I said, I live, where do you live? I said, I live on Williams. And he lived on Victoria Drive. He said, I have a triplex. Said, oh, I said, that's pretty. Anyway, long story short, I get back. I sold his triplex, made 1800 commission. I sold his brother's triplex, made 800 commission. I made more money from that one meeting yeah. after having had 10 weeks holiday. Yeah. And I have a thousand stories like that. Yeah. I get that. I think your secret to success is um, like the just do it thing. Just take action. 100%. But it, and you may go the wrong way too, and that's all right. Yeah. You know, it's not the end of the world if you make a mistake. You know, Tell me about that. Tell me about one of your big ones. It's probably funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> have you ever uh, made a bad investment? Uh, I, I wish I could say I did. Uh, <laughs> no, because it's maybe still out there coming. Oh, right? yeah. But um, maybe investments that, you know, uh, there's always in real estate, I've often regretted selling, never regretted keeping the property. Yeah. But that's to me is I needed that money to buy something else. Um, yeah. No, I, look, when I look in the mirror in the morning and I, I'm not trying to have a big head, but I like what I see. I like myself and all the mistakes and all the blind alleys I went to, that, that's part of it, right? I mean, people saying, how could you possibly work as a circus? They have no idea what a glorious time that was, you know. Working in the circus? Yes, absolutely. What did you do? <laughs> well, if you if you prompt me, I'll tell you one quick story. All right. We were in Australia, and uh, again, our job was to find girls and travel. That meant we would make, when we had 100 pounds, we would travel, or if the girl says, come meet my parents, right? So then, then we were out of there. Uh, <laughs> So we are, we are in, uh, we are, this time we're working in a hotel and this young guy comes and says, look, he says, how would you like to go and work at a circus? I said, look, we got a good job here. We're making money. We were water skiing all day, working all night in the hotel and then talking all day. You know, we always love to talk. 
Oh no, is it their flyers to Launcheston, which I said, where is that? Is it's in Tasmania? And then I heard the word fly. You know, I talked earlier about the firsts. I'd never been on a plane. Good enough. I didn't know what the circus was. I just wanted to be on a plane. And I will never forget that flight, a two-engine with a booster in there. And I, I, I can still smell the leather. When the plane had landed, I was walking out uh, the door and they had one of those long uh, stairs on it. And I was standing on top. I felt like, God, it was just absolute so delicious. And in front was a guy by the name of Fritz Schulz. And he says, you these guys, uh, these German guys? I said, yeah, and there was three of us. He said, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm the lion trainer, but I was the only one left, and it was grumpy as hell. Yeah. And I was traveling with my suitcase, uh, a typewriter, because I saw myself as a writer, and a clarinet. And he said, well, are you going to go with all that stuff? I said, well, it's a, it's a writer, and I like to play the clarinet. And he says, you know, you're going to a circus, right? There's 10,000 people running around. They're going to steal your stuff. Anyways, after a little while, he looked at me and he said, and he said it in German, but he said, you are really innocents. And there is some truth in that. We were true blue innocents. We loved life. You told me you want me to go do some drugs. I was out of there. You were dead. You know, we wouldn't talk to you. But anyhow, and we didn't drink much beer with you because it cost money. <laughs> so here we are in the circus. Uh, he put all of them. The lions were in a, in a trailer, and they had little compartments, one for each. There was 10 lions under this trailer. And he put my stuff underneath uh, one of those lions. He says, nobody's going to go there. But he says, you guys are going to help me tomorrow. I said, okay. So the circus box has there's a ring box, and inside the ring box, you built a cage, you know, where the lions are going to be. And so the truck came in. And he told my buddy Peter, uh, we just talked about it the other day. Actually, when we talked to our wives about Australia and the circus, they run for the hill. But anyhow, he takes a big rope. He has a noose on one end, and that's hanging on the inside of the cage. And he throws the rope out, and he says, boys, hang out. Hang on to this rope. So we, hang, we don't know. I said, what? Oh, Fritz, what is this for? Said, don't worry about it. The lions come in, and they're all, and finally they're all sitting, their paws stretched out, except one. Of course, she's called Elsa. And uh, so he was yelling at her, hey, hey, and he had this lion's language, and he was throwing the whip. She didn't listen. So he goes to her. You know, I mean, I would have been scared about that. He just goes to her, he's going, and she's flashing her teeth, and he puts the rope around her neck. Now, boys, hang on. What? What What? What are you, what are you doing here, Fritz? Oh, right? So no. he goes, and he hits her straight over the head with the wife. But there was no loving uh, things here. <laughs> he said, you either... He said, all they want to do is make love and sleep. And he used different words. But anyhow, you have to whip them into shape. So he hits her. Well, the lioness, she didn't have that. She took a flying leap at him straight up. But because of the noose around her neck, Peter and I were dragged up the fence, yelling like crazy. You know, what's going on? Hang tight. And uh, oh my God, but then the lioness bounced back and she was flying against the cage. And he took, went right straight to her, took the thing off her neck and... Talked to her again, made sure she all said, and he, that he did a little exercise, and he put him back on the track. I said, Fritz, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, what is, you know, well, you've got to understand. I said, aren't you scared? You've got to understand. These animals smell you from 100 feet away. If I ever was scared, I'm dead. There's no way. But he says, that's nothing, nothing to worry about. Tonight, I'm going to put my head in her mouth. What? You're going to put a head in your, yeah? So that, that night, everybody was sitting there. We all in the, in the circus arena. We just, we couldn't wait, right? Anyways, the lions jumped through fire. They did this. And finally he comes, the lion opens a big mouth. He opens it further, puts his head in, and they go, ah, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, I'm totally amazed. And then he said something the next day. He says, you understand something. Humans are the same. They'll smell how you feel. 
And you cannot, whoever you are, whoever you want to be, you cannot have the slightest doubt in your mind as to who you are and what you want. And the trouble is that you spend all your time chasing girls or doing this and never take a time to figure out what it is that you really want out of life, right? Well, what, what uh, later on we now call it, you know, 1% doubt and you're out. But, you know, as a manager, don't share your doubts with your top salespeople. They want you to be, they want you to be not, not having any doubts. You know, you have to be, if you're in a, in a hurricane, be the center so that every, all your staff looks around you. You don't share your doubts with anybody. Well, certainly not with lions and certainly not with Fritz, but there you go, right? There's every, everywhere in the world you get little lessons that you pick. There's always somebody can make you do what you could do more of, but you got to be open and you're going to take action. What was the, what's the, maybe your favorite piece of advice that comes to mind? Like, you know, you've written books, you got these cards and, and courses and everything. What's another or one of your favorite lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, well, I guess there's nothing that I would say is the, the, the leading thing is simply um, understand what your joy is. Because if balance stresses you out, you immediately after you do that stressful thing, you've got to do something that gets you into joy. But most people don't know what it is. They do stuff that they ought to do because somebody else is doing it. I put on my, my earphones and, and get into music all night and enjoy. I forget everything. I'm in there. Uh, we, we, we all know Sharon, right? Sharon sits on his machines for two hours and, and uh, he, he loses all sights of stress and so on. And it's different for everybody, right? I mean, uh, I know some girls, they like to knit. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, but you got to, that's your, if there is anything in the balance, if you're out of balance, that's how you get back to the center and then you can go and fight another battle and you come back to the center. Mm. Take time off. I mean, I, I learned that... Um, actually a long time ago when i consider now when we go on holidays we take all our kids so we have gone to europe three times i take all 15 all the kids all the grandkids all the relatives we take we go together it isn't just that we just were in in rome or we we're just in my hometown in cologne or we went to manila or something so we, we take them all and then we we're happy to see them come and happy to see them go then we like the last time we were in manila two years ago they all went back we hired a bus and we are, we are, we are, we're singing karaoke for two weeks, uh, which singing is the wrong word. But anyways, then my wife and I, we flew to Singapore. We took the Queen Mary tour and we went to London, right? So, but we went via, via Petra. I always wanted to go to Petra, you know, in Aqaba. And so to me, uh, everybody talks travel, but we don't. They don't. Or everybody says, I need more time off, but they don't. Take the time off. Because at that and, and at that time, keep your, keep your mind uh, empty, but get into joy. Find something joyful every day. That's good advice. What's going to happen next? What What do you think? What does the future look like? These are crazy, crazy times. How are you feeling about things? I'm in the market. Well, I I'm in my newsletter, Ozbuzz in February. My headline was the high is in place. I believed we've seen the high. You know, and then I have a whole bunch of numbers to, to play with. And since then, we have gone down every single month in the average price. And I think that's going to continue. But we'll find an equilibrium. I don't know whether it's, you know, a 30% decline, which would be nothing when you consider we went up, you know, 100%. Toronto right now is crashing. What we're seeing all across the board is now active listing increasing. That's the first months where you actually seen the active leasing increases before we could always say it was. 
So what, what is going to happen is two things. One, the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates. And if they do, they're scared one heck of a lot more than, than what I assume they're scared of right now. Because what they would like to do is just kick the can down the road one more time, right? QE95 is, is definitely in play. But if they don't, if they feel they have to do a Volcker kind of go into 16% rates, then we're in for a much longer period of time. And this is different in that we have a terrible uh, confrontation all the time, you know, in a politically, economically. People won't accept a lot of the concepts that government has. So there'll be a lot more strife. Sri Lanka is nothing as what is going to happen if the US dollar gets even much stronger, which I believe. Uh, because all of these countries now have to pay their debts even higher. They'll go broke. Argentina is broke. Brazil is broke. Uh, the, the euro is, I predicted the euro to be 80 cents. Uh, even then, uh, so so the point is to, to strive it there. But we will get out of it. you know. But we have to go through a valley. And I think that valley might be longer than we think. And it's led mostly by interest rates. It's led mostly by interest rates, absolutely. So why are they raising interest rates? What are they scared of? Well, that prices run away. I mean, if they officially say it's up 9%, right, um, then probably we're more like 14%. I put in the, my newsletter, Ozbuzz, I put in the shadowstats.com. This guy compares what was in the basket in Volcker times. And now we've taken oil out. We've taken house prices out. We've taken everything we're saying is up 9%. And then we talk about core inflation and headline inflation. All that confusing as hell. The fact is that you go to the grocery store, your steak, it was $20, it's now $45, right? It's it, it's 100% higher. A lot of the things that you buy are at least up 40%, whether it's potatoes or whatnot. So the average the average person out there whose wages, they're now, we're going to see a lot more strikes. Uh, and, and if you keep, keep it going indefinitely, it'll collapse on, a, on the other side, on maybe a hyper type of inflation. And that, I think, is also a danger. But I think what they would like to do, I think, and by September, they're hoping that inflation will come off a little, maybe go to eight. They'll stop raising or maybe go up only a quarter. And then they have a midterm election in uh, in December. And uh, right now it looks like they're going to get wiped out if the inflation keeps going because it really hits the, the, the people that can the least afford it. So, but... The debt is so, so enormous that every percent increase actually costs them also tremendous money in the, all the governments around the world. So it's not in their interest to raise it at the same time. So, so now what, what happened yesterday, we have we have great reports. Unemployment is low, all the, all the things. So they're going to raise again. We need it to crash a little. So, so they're bringing about an actual government-designed crash in the stock market and crash in the real estate. All hard assets are trying to crash why do they try to fight inflation so much? I mean, if, if wages and earnings also inflate, you know, what, why, why mess with it? Well, first of all, all the entitlements in the United States, all the pensions are tied to the official inflation rate in Canada and the United States. So at 2%, the costs are in the billions already. At 8%, they're four times as high. The indebtedness and, and the pension plans alone is, is absolutely dramatic. I mean, not just uh, the government, also almost private companies. We've all been lending and borrowing. It almost needs a major shakeout. And when you look at the, the world, uh, this Schwab guy who says we need a total reset, you know, of everything back to zero and then start fresh. 
that will ring good to anybody who has nothing, you know, but um, why do they want to keep on doing it? Why don't, they, why don't they keep on doing it? Because you might run into 20% or 30%. And once you get over 12 or 13%, you have a very good chance to just, nobody trusts. That money that you're spending, it only spends because you trust it. It's not backed by anything. It is just, you know, look, in Roman times, they took a gold coin and they hollowed the middle out of it and put silver in it. And the next guy came and he took the silver out and he put iron in it. And then they put, you know, the thing is we're always debasing the currency. And as long as you believe in that currency, we are fine. The moment you start doubting, hey, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, it's not gold-backed. I mean, it was, you know, way, way back. It's long gone. Yeah, and, and although apparently last month, governments around the world bought 65 tons of gold, you know. So there's always this rumor that it would be back to gold standard. It's too big. The money amounts that we owe is too big. The deficit, I mean, France has had deficit for 17 years. Never once, not a deficit, right? Uh, my friend Victor there, who is the day trader, I'm on the radio with him every week. He calls Italy, you know, Club Med, you know, Club Med Italy, right? Because, yeah, you know, they're on this 27th government in 20 years, and now they have a new one again. And that whole area could collapse very well by itself. I believe the U.S. is the strongest. I, that's why in 2010, I was on the radio every day. The argument that the U.S. was going to go broke is absolutely ludicrous. It's a $21 trillion economy. You know, it's something real is made there. And they can pay back their debts very easily. And today, the whole world is lending the money, you know, up to yin-yang. Everybody. And that money is going to increase coming and drive the dollar even higher. That's my view. It's just an, I'm a non-economist. So where should you be, I think, and what I'm writing in my newsletter is, if, if there's an age-related thing, if you're over 70, get 50% in cash. If you're over 60, get 40%. You know, if you're under 40, go for the brass ring. What are you waiting for? You, know, you can lose it all, make it back. I hate these old people though out there. They have nothing. They're working in a checkout counter, counter because, you know, hopefully they didn't speculate in crypto. But the, the, <laughs> the key is that we now have a market reason too, right? I would just wait this out. Sit on the sidelines. There's nothing wrong with that. Both in the stock market, get out. You're sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. So should people lock in their mortgages now? I, I would have said they should have locked it in a long time sooner, but I think yes. But there's another reason. Look, my partner, Ralph Case, and I, we have bought, you know, apartment buildings. We bought houses. We bought lots of stuff. And we always locked in, always. We did a deal in, in Phoenix with uh, actually Dave Barnes, uh, the three of us, where we bought New University. And I think it was a $4 million deal we paid for. And then the university called and offered us $5.5 million and we took it, but we had to pay a $110,000 mortgage penalty. Yeah, it's okay. Sleeps at night. We have investors' money. And this is one thing with, with uh, David Steele and Janet LePage. She is a wizard. She has it all worked out what the rates could be, right? Because that is a dangerous game you play with, with millions and millions of dollars, mm -hmm. right? So I, I probably would, you know. Because the thing is that half the world says it's going to go down. The other half says it's going to go up. And if you don't go down, even people with their variable rate think that they're safe. No, when the variable inflection point comes, when the, when the yeah, your payment is fixed, but there comes a point when you have to put in more money anyhow because now everything is interest only. Right? Mm -hmm. The next thing is a 40-year mortgage. The next thing is maybe a 35% down payment. They're going to kill the market. They're doing everything they can to kill the market. So right now you don't want to be a buyer or 
look very cautiously. Maybe it's an assignment you should buy. Maybe it's a, yeah. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe the the pencil is being sharpened enough uh, on on some of the pre-sales. Look, the pre-sales they don't close for by twenty twenty-five. I think by then we should be out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's it. It has to do with you talked about timing earlier, and and that's a big part of it. Are you looking long term or short term? I think in a contrarian way sometimes. I mean, uh, I think it's good to buy when everyone's full of fear and everybody's yeah. uh, trying to sell. That's the Warren Buffett formula. Yeah. Everybody is crying, you should be buying. Right? Yeah. But uh, yes, thoughtfully though. Uh, and, and uh, you know, yesterday I talked to a long-term client and I said, just sit on the sidelines, but make sure that you, the area that you want to, he wants to be in Coquitlam is every area that you want to be in that the realtor sends you Every day, the stats. The neat thing is the the board shows you the per square the per square foot price. You can just look one quick look at night, and you can see what's happening with all the new listings. Mm-hmm. I used to in Westlip Tour used to just speculate anything that had a three car garage. I would buy it and flip it for thirty or forty thousand, because it was a Chinese. It's a Chinese uh, market, and they look at the triple garage. It's a you know, whatever method you have. Are you a short-term investor, just like a, are you a day trader or a long-term buyer in the stock market? But for now, I just want to wait this out. Anybody that says they know what's going to happen, he doesn't. Yeah. I listened to David Rosenberg this morning. I mean, the man has been predicting the recession for eight years. He'll never change. There's some people that have a, you know, that have a bent, right? Yeah. Eventually, it's going to be maybe right. Yeah. There's others out there that see, you, know, you have this Robert Kiyosaki. I used to do presentations. I used to have programs with him. And he, he wrote the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, became famous. You listen to him now. He's some, I've got to be careful. It's unbelievable the statements that he makes in terms of our collapses, you know. I mean, I used to make speeches with Mark Victor Hansen, you know, Chicken Soup of the Soul guy in Long Beach, uh, California, when things were really tough. Um, in 1989, a thousand banks went bankrupt in the United States under the savings and loan crisis. Those were individual banks. And uh, I bought a real estate company called Red Carpet uh, with, with 300 offices. It was a $10 million company. And the U.S. had uh, created a resolution trust company. And that company made all the banks get rid of their non-core assets, whether they liked or not, they had to sell them. So I was in Chicago buying, making an offer on this $10 million company. And uh, I, I was told that I could buy it for a million, but I offered him half a million. Oh, he says, you got to do better than that. I said, okay, 600,000. He said, okay, sold. Unbelievable, right? But they wiped out all the debts very quickly. Whereas right now we're always kicking the can down the road and, and just making the problem bigger. And so I was in San Diego and I made a speech to a thousand agents and I said, you know, uh, you know, you live in, in, you're in Mexico without it being Mexico. This is a fabulous place, right? I mean, San Diego is just incredible. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. We're down 30% in price. You know, it's like almost an instant replay that we have today, right? There were always these people out there saying this is the end of the world. I bought a condo in Coronado Shores. I paid $80,000, which is right on the water, you know, right beside the Coronado Hotel. I better bought it for my agents. I would put my agents there. You got a special, got a ten-day holiday there. It's another story. Sold at three hundred thousand, and uh, today it's worth two point four million. Right now, were they wrong at the time to be fearful? No, but they were wrong not to buy real estate. You know, I went to a twenty-five-year reunion at the real estate board, 
And yes, a lot of them bought their own house, but they didn't get kind of rich the way they should all have been, right? With with sitting on the... So I would believe you that um, there's always a good time to buy, right? The Chinese always say the best time to buy was five years ago. The second best time is today, right? There's always that. But I think caution is indicated. Mm-hmm. I agree. You got to be careful. Um, so for you, I mean, what have you been thinking about in your six months off? What do you What do you think about the future for yourself and what... If you did something else, what would it be? Well, I'm, I'm constantly reinventing myself, you know, doing different things. So right now I'm I'm going to my daughter's after me. She wants me to do a, some sort of a biography. I don't want to do that. I want to maybe tell a series of vignettes, like the story about the circus story, things that really happened, right, or things that really mattered to me. You know, the funny thing is, all right, do you read my Ozbus? No. <gasps> I will. I feel bad. I wish I did. Will you please erase? I mean, I have this? in my life. I have in my life. I'm just not just, at the just moment. amazing. Amazing. But a part of the thing that's in there, it's, I call it meaningless words that I don't like. Right? Yeah. And uh, people say to you, do you want an honest answer? No, I want you to lie to me. You know, what a stupid thing to say to you. Do you want an answer? Or they say, you must agree that. The moment you say that, why do I have to agree with that? Yeah. That that assumes that I'm an idiot already, right? If I don't agree with yeah. you, you know? Or at the end of the day, everybody says at the end of the day, you have to realize this constant spaced repetition, what they're hearing on the radio or on TV, they're adopting it. And a lot of them are adopting outright junk and regurgitated, you know, par for the course. I'll throw her under the bus, back to the drawing board. Everybody says it. And what I really don't like is slim fit. This is a word that should be banned because when I go to a store and it's slim fit, <laughs> it's a lie. And certainly there's no clothes made for me that are slim fit, right? So anyways, the idea is that we um, don't take the time to sit down. Is, is that what I really believe? People draw me into religious thinking. I, I don't may not have religious thinking, but I know my flowers in my, in my condo in the morning, they turn towards the sun. Who tells them to turn? I mean, who is that? There's a consciousness in the flower. And I walk in the forest, the trees breathe out oxygen, exactly what I happen to need to breathe in. There's a thousand things going on around me that I should be interested in. The people say, smell the roses. No, stop the car, get out of the car, bend down and smell the roses, right? And for, for me, when I go out, I mean, I, I say I take a lot of time off. We used to spend between six weeks and two we, two months in Secret Cove. We do at least two months of skiing in Kimberley. It refreshes me, but it doesn't stop me making money because I get ideas that I didn't have before where... Look, the system that we have now, and you know it, I mean, it is probably one of the biggest income with absolutely no overhead. Think about it. I mean, I think in business, we, you either have a very large overhead or a very small overhead. In the middle, you get killed. And there can be dozens of companies that the overhead literally kills them, particularly, of course, in the last two years. With us, the overhead can't kill us because we don't have any. Mm-hmm. But those ideas come all while you're on the way. I said, do, I, do we really want to do this? You know, what is it? What is our goal? Like you, we, we have a, a, a monetary goal and Ralph spends a lot of time. His holidays are away. My holidays may be out on the boat or, you know, being, uh, being somewhere else. But I think you need the time. I really do. But we don't take the time. It is the life is accelerating dramatically. You know, mm-hmm. my, my great grandfather maybe had one change a year. My grandfather maybe four, my father maybe one a month. The kids today have eight a day. 
you know, I get letters since LOL, uh, BW, CU, you know, all these kind of abbreviations for my kids and my grandkids. And yet the problems they have are exactly the same problems that I had when I was that age. You'd, you think at 19 you're finished. At 19 I knew everything, right? Yeah. And now I look at my 25 years old and I said, how could he possibly think that? You know, it's a, but it's life, right? And uh, what I would probably enjoy doing it is go full time into a motivational kind of environment. But some of the material that I have, I have to believe it within the core of my being that it works. And that's what I, I spend a lot of time looking at myself and saying, well, that was just regurgitating junk. junk. Mm-hmm. Tony Robbins has probably said a thousand things of which perhaps 60 are solid gold. And the rest is just, he got it from somebody else. Mm. Anyhow, whether I ever get to do it, it's not its not a, a major thing. But I live a charmed life. Yeah, sounds like it. And thanks for sharing it. Yeah.